Welcome to Church 1132. We're grateful that you're here, and uh, I'm excited to jump into the Word today. Um, if we haven't met yet, my name is John. I'm one of our pastors here, and I also have the privilege of leading our school of ministry. And um, uh, we're continuing our series today called Presence Over Everything. How many of you guys have enjoyed this series? It's been so powerful. And that simply means that we value, we prioritize the presence of God over everything else. We put the presence first. We value the presence first. And uh, I feel like I've got a word for you today. Uh, before I dive in, I want to take a moment. I want to honor our pastors. Pastor Dustin and Jamie Bates are incredible. Now, I know they've been out for a few weeks. Pastor is focusing on his health. And maybe you're wondering, are we going to honor them every single week? And the answer is yes. We are going to. I believe that a missed opportunity to honor is dishonor. And so we want to take an opportunity. Every single time I, I get the chance, I want to honor them for their sacrifice, for their yes. No one leads like Pastor Dustin. No one pre I, I don't know about y'all. I'm glad he's priori prioritizing his health. I'm ready for him to preach again. I miss his preaching. I'm ready for him to get back in the pulpit. And, uh, and so we just want to honor them. And, uh, and I want to take a moment and honor my wife who's sitting on the front row, Kaylee. Yeah, uh, yeah let's go. Um, Kaylee and I met at 13 years old. We were, uh, started dating at 18, engaged at 19, and uh, we, we've been married for eight years, and I'm just one of those guys who's still crazy about his wife. Any other guys in the room like that? It's a good opportunity to make a lot of noise, man. Uh, it's going to be uncomfortable <laughs> if you don't. Um, but Kaylee, you're amazing. You're incredible. Uh, we do ministry together, and uh, I'm thankful. Yesterday, I was I was planning for this message. I was here at the church late and writing, and I got home, and Kaylee's got worship music in, going on in the house, and she's just, uh, she's like, hey, I've been praying for you and for your word, and so I'm lucky to have you, and I'm thankful for you, and marriage just gets better and better, and so, um, but again, we're continuing this series today called, called Presence Over Everything, and uh, I want to start the message by saying this, uh, uh, really making a confession to you, uh, and that is that I'm not the smartest person. Not the sharpest tool in the shed. I try really hard to be smart, and uh, I read a lot of books, and I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I just have these blonde moments that just pop up. Anybody else with me? You're just like, man, that was really, really dumb. And uh, I'll give you a quick example. I was, I was preaching in India in December of 2019, and uh, I had done several, did 10 days in India where we were just preaching in different villages near Iluru. And um, after I had preached one meeting, uh, it was a crusade. I walked off the stage, and and there was a man that came up to me, and obviously, we don't speak the same language. And so he walks up to me, and he, he puts his hand on his forehead and leans forward, forward like that. And, and now I know that he wanted me to pray for him. Uh, but it, it, for some reason, my jet-lagged mind went to maybe this is like a local village greeting. And so he's, he's, he's taking his hand, putting it on his forehead, and then leaning forward. And so instead of praying for him... I leaned forward and put my forehead on his forehead. <laughs> so here we are, forehead to forehead, nose to nose, eye to eye, heart to heart with this man. And then I leaned back, and I was just like, was that what you were looking for? Is that what you, is that you, what you want? He looked really, really confused. And at that time, the translator was like, no, you just pray for him. I was like, okay, yeah, I got it. I can do that. I can do that. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure he seemed really he seemed really confused. I'm pretty sure that was actually, I found out later that that was like a marriage custom for that village. <clears throat> I think I accidentally married that guy. I don't know. 
he seemed really, really distraught when I left, and he keeps messaging me on WhatsApp asking me where I am, and <laughs> that's not true. Case in point, I'm not the sharpest tool in the, in the shed. There's things that I don't know. There's a lot of things that I don't know. However, there are some things that I'm confident about. There are some things that I know that I know that I know. Here's what I know. I know the Word of God. The Bible is everything to me. I've been a Bible nerd since I was in high school, a sophomore in high school. I fell in love with the Word of God. And, and here's what I know, that the presence of God is everything that we need. I know for sure that the presence of God is more powerful than anything else. An encounter with God will change you like nothing else will change you. Did you know that you can be walking in dysfunction and brokenness for years, but one moment in the presence of God can change everything? Can I just build your faith? This is the sermon before the sermon, but can I just build your faith? And we're going to pray and jump into the text, but I'm just reminded of this guy in the New Testament who was lame. He was paralyzed for 38 years. This, this is 13,870 days that he's dealing with a dysfunction, that he is broken, that he's got question marks, and he's asking, when is God going to come through on my behalf? When am I going to get the miracle that I'm looking for? And then Jesus shows up on the scene, and Jesus has one day, verse, verses 13,000. How can one day, listen, compare to 13,000 days? And the reality is it cannot unless you, in the one day you are in the presence of the one who can rewrite your story and ret return what the enemy has done for 38 years. Listen, one, presence, one day in the presence of God can reverse what the enemy has done in a lifetime. The Bible says that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And God decides when a day is like a thousand years and when a thousand years is like a day. Listen, we're getting deep real fast. Just hang with me. So, so God can look at a man who's dealt with a dysfunction for 38 years and not at all be intimidated because he says uh, a thousand years is like a day. <laughs> Making 38 years like a couple of minutes. But then I can look at the one day that I have in the presence of God, and God is saying, don't you underestimate what I can do in one day, because a day is like a thousand years. Don't underestimate what he can do in a 35-minute message. Come on, don't underestimate what God can do in one altar moment. I'm telling you, if, I, don't care, I don't know how long you've been carrying dysfunction or how long you've been struggling. Maybe you've had 13,000 days of difficulty. I'm just telling you, the presence of God is here to change your story. The power of God, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. The Bible says that where the spirit of God is, there is liberty. So before we jump into the word, I'm just going to pray. And as I pray, I want to encourage you to elevate your faith, to elevate your expectancy, because God is about to do something fresh in your life today. So Holy Spirit, we love you. Jesus, we need you, and we invite the fullness of your presence here in this room right now. Come on, for 30 seconds, can we turn this into a prayer meeting? Jesus, we are here not to hear from a man, not to be entertained. We're here to encounter the living God. Father, I thank you that we don't need another church service. We don't need to be entertained by a band or by a message. Lord, we need an encounter with the living God. We're tired of production presence. We want the real 
real, authentic glory of God to come and settle here where we are. God, I speak to every hopeless situation, and I say be full of hope again in Jesus' name. I speak to every anxious heart, and I declare the peace of God which surpasses understanding would cover you. I, I speak to the depressed, to the broken, the hurting, those who have been in, in, in paralyzed for 38 years. God, I thank you that you're here to do what only you can do in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Presence over everything. Did you know that the presence of God is what makes us different? The presence of God is what distinguishes us from the rest of the world. The presence of God resting on you makes you distinct. I preached out of Exodus chapter 33 a couple of weeks ago with this scripture where Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with me, then I don't want to go. But the dialogue continues. I want to show you Exodus 33, 16. I'm grabbing my title from this text. It says, for, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? This is Moses talking to God. I and your people. Is it not in your going with us? Is it not in your presence so that we are distinct? Everyone say distinct. Everyone say distinct real loud. I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. Is it not your presence that makes us distinct? This morning I want to preach to you a message entitled Distinct and Dangerous. Distinct and and dangerous. The presence of God makes you noticeably unique. It makes you different, and therefore it makes you dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Now, when I say distinct, when I say different, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean church merchandise, and we hope you buy it. But I don't mean a cross that you wear around your neck, and I don't mean a doormat that says blessed. When I'm talking about distinct, I'm talking about when the world looks at you, they say something along the lines of there's something different about you. And I can't put my finger above there. So it's, it's the thing that caused Moses' face to shine. It's the thing that caused Jacob to walk differently. It's the thing that caused the prophets to talk differently. All throughout the word of God, from generation to generation, God has caused his people to be distinct because of his presence. Did you know we cannot transform a culture that we look like? Did you know that we cannot transform a nation that we conform to? We only are able to change and create change when we are distinct. Distinct and dangerous from generation to generation, from the prophets to the disciples to the conception of the early church, all the way up to the main character of this morning's message, a guy by the name of Stephen. God has made his people distinct. If you've never heard of Stephen, Stephen was one of the deacons of the early church. He, the Bible says he was full of wisdom. He was full of power. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And the religious leaders of the, of the day did not like it. And so they put him on trial. They're accusing him of blasphemy. There's this back and forth. There's this discourse. And Stephen rebukes these religious leaders. It's an intense situation. And the conversation reaches this pinnacle moment, and that's where we're going to read today in Acts chapter 7 and verse 54. We're going to read a few verses, and here's what I want you to notice is the distinction of the people of God, the distinction of Stephen and the apostles, Acts 7, 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. Stephen had just rebuked them, and they ground their teeth 
at him. Everyone ground your teeth at your neighbor right now. No, I don't, I don't know what that means. But ground their teeth at their neighbor. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. I can feel the room getting encouraged already. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. I want to pull two thoughts out of this text today because this text reveals to us a couple of characteristics of the early church that made them distinct, that made them different. If you're taking notes, here's the first thought I want to give. The people of God have distinct focus. Distinct focus focus. Verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth at him, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen is surrounded by enemies. Stephen is surrounded by critics and people who think differently than him. But Stephen's response to the enemy surrounding him is not to look at the enemy. Stephen's response to the enemy is to look up at Jesus. The enemy's number one goal for your life is not to steal your faith. It's to steal your, help me, your focus. He is trying to steal your focus. The people of God have distinct focus. Let me take you back to 2005. I'm 11 years old. And uh, when I was 11 years old, my parents were like, if you want to go somewhere you got to walk. Anybody else? Kids these days, their parents are calling them Ubers and everything like that. I'm just like, yeah, you had to walk. If you were lucky, you got the pegs, your friend with the pegs on the back. And, uh, and so I'm walking to the rec center and, uh, to play some basketball. And this is go- what I'm about to say I know is going to appeal to a particular demographic of 90s and 80s kids potentially. But I'm walking with my Walkman CD player. And in my Walkman CD player, I have got a CD that may or may not have been filled with music that, was been, that had been illegally downloaded from Napster and LimeWire. You guys remember these days? And uh, my Dell computer had 32 viruses, but I had a fire playlist. And, and so I'm walking with my, and, I, and I'm feeling myself. I'm vibing out to Usher. Yeah. I'm, I'm listening to Hey Ya by Outkast, Into Club by 50 Cent. Y'all don't know that. Get Rich or Die Trying album. Now, listen, this was before Christ. These are not recommendations. Don't go listen to the songs after this. But I'm listening to these songs, and I'm, and I'm walking, and I'm looking down at my, at my CD player, and I'm walking next to like a fairly busy street on a sidewalk, and I walk full speed into a pole. Fall down on the ground. All these cars driving by. 
There's nothing more embarrassing than walking into a pole. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm pretty sure there's still an indention on my forehead, and I still forget stuff. And so I walk full speed into a pole because I lost my, help me, I lost my focus. I wasn't looking where I was supposed to look. The pain came. The embarrassment came. My walk was disrupted because I was walking without focus. Jesus wants to recalibrate our focus today. Where are you looking? Where are your eyes? Because the word of God, the presence of God is recalibrating our focus. It's constantly saying, hey, look up at me. Look up at me. And I think there's a lot of people who are looking back at what used to be. There's people who are looking down in shame. Some people are looking over in comparison. Some people are looking around in in fear. But God is saying, hey, today is the day. On this Sunday, you're going to start looking up. He wants to regain our, our focus. All throughout the scripture, the word of God is saying, get your focus back. Get your focus back. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Watch this. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Let us run fixing our eyes on Jesus. Let us run, fixing our, the the writer of Hebrews is giving running advice and then telling you what to do with your eyes. I'm not a professional, but if I were to encourage you and teach you how to run, I would tell you to strengthen your legs. I would tell you to run more hills. I would tell you to learn how to breathe and to watch your stride. But the Bible is saying the key to running well, the key to being distinct is not fixing your stride. It's fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author. And how do I have longevity? Fix your eyes on Jesus. How can I be victorious over sin? Fix your eyes on Jesus. How can I keep peace in a storm? Fix your eyes on Jesus. The enemy doesn't want to kill your faith. He wants to steal your Focus. He wants to steal your focus. Everything was going well for Peter as he's walking on water until he loses his focus. Jesus says, come walk on the water. And Jesus, or Peter walks out and he's, he's doing well. He's walking on water. See, focus makes us distinct. He's walking on the water. He's looking at Jesus. And then uh, the Bible says that he starts to get distracted. And Peter, the Bible says that when Peter saw Fox News, and when, and when Peter saw CNN, all the preachers always got to say both, you know, just to keep it. When Peter saw the posts that he disagreed with, when, when Peter saw the conspiracy theory that was posted on Facebook, when Peter saw, fill in the blank with whatever is distracting you, when Peter saw the wind, the Bible says that he took his eyes off Jesus, and when he took his eyes off Jesus is when he began to sink. Dr. Darius Daniel says it this way, you can't win looking at the wind. And so if you're living with distractions, God is saying today, fix your eyes on me. The enemy is on a mission to steal your focus. What is stealing your focus? Who is stealing your focus? I love that Stephen didn't even respond to the crowd. 
I, I love that, that Stephen, the Bible says that they ground their teeth and they were enraged. And then it says, but he. They, but he. I'm grateful that the scripture does not say they, so he. Because his actions weren't contingent upon they. It, it does not say they, so he. So it shows me that Stephen is not reacting to the crowd, but he is responding to what God has put in his heart. It's they ground their teeth and they were enraged, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And watch this. It says, behold, I see the heavens open. What do you see, Stephen? What do you see? I see the heavens open. Listen, he didn't see the chaos. He didn't see the storm. He didn't see the problem. He didn't see the haters. He didn't see the situation or the stones. I see Jesus. This makes us distinct because it will cause the world to ask you questions. Why are you not freaking out right now? Because I see Jesus, do you not see the storm that's going on right outside the boat? Do you not see what's happening around the world? Haven't you heard about this missile in this? Uh, no, I see Jesus. Listen, this is not a denial of reality. It's trusting in a greater reality. This is not living with your head in the clouds. It's trusting in the one who created the clouds. This is not being so heavenly minded. You're no earthly good. This is being so focused on him that heaven starts to come down to earth. This is what makes us distinct. It's our focus. It's our focus. So how do I stay focused? Let me make it practical for you for a moment because focus is not you gritting your teeth and closing your eyes really hard and trying to picture the throne and the 24 elders it's like, when do I do this? How do I focus? Here's just a couple of practical things. Worship is focus. Prayer, talking to God, is focus. One thing I love to do, reminding yourself of the attributes of God. He's good. He's faithful. He's kind. It's focus. But here's one thing that will anchor you in focus more than anything else. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. I just want to encourage you to fall in love with the word. Highlight, underline, take notes. I started doing this every Monday. I don't listen to any podcasts. I don't listen to any sermons. I just listen to the word of God. I'm telling you, just begin to consume. Why does the word of God anchor my, my focus? I want to show you. I want to illustrate this. Could it, you have that picture of my family? I want to show you guys this picture of my family. Isn't this a beautiful picture? I mean, now some of you are confused. And you're thinking that the media team made a mistake in showing a blurry picture. But, but what's the problem with this picture? It's not, in, it's not in focus. Now, Lindsay took these pictures, and she did a great job. We edited it afterwards, just so, we're, just so we're clear. She did amazing. So we're all looking at this picture, but we can't clearly see our features because it's not in focus. So focus is not just where I'm looking, but focus is the clarity with which I see. 
Focus is not just the direction your eyes are going. Focus is the clarity with which you see. And there's a lot of people who are looking in the direction of Jesus, but they don't know the word, and so all they see is a blurry picture. What gives you focus to who he is is the word of God. Can I help you with something? Jesus is not what you feel Jesus is like. Your feelings do not dictate who our king is. Everything that we know about Jesus, his attributes, what he loves, what he despises, his characteristics, everything that we know about Jesus is contingent upon what the Bible says. The word of God gives us clarity to what he looks like. If all you know about Jesus comes from worship music, you'll see his silhouette, but he'll be blurry. It is vital that we dive into the word of God because that is what anchors my focus. The presence of God makes the people of God distinct. What does distinction look like? It looks like distinct focus. And here's the second thought for you and the final thought that I'm gonna give you is that the people of God have distinct faithfulness. Do you see the text, Acts 8.1? And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. Many people were scattered. Devout men stayed. Since the beginning of time, the enemy has tried to, with his attacks, cause the people of God to to scatter. There was a time where he threatened the church, the people of God, with a furnace, and people scattered. Everyone bowed down except for a few devout and distinct men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was a time where Goliath comes on the scene and he's causing people to scatter in fear and scatter in terror. But there's one devout man, one distinct man by the name of David that is saying, I'm going to. I'm going to stay. I'm going to be faithful. And here we see in the book of Acts, the enemy is releasing persecution on the church, thinking this is going to be the time that they all scatter. But devout men, devout men have always planted their feet. Devout people have always planted their feet and said, I believe that faithfulness is everything. Listen, I believe that the the world is not looking for you to be the most talented or the most charismatic. Listen, the world is not looking for beautiful services or perfect worship sets. They're just wondering, are you going to be faithful? Faithfulness. When we stand before Jesus, he's going to say, enter in, good in, faithful servant. Faithful to the word of God, faithful to our word, faithful in our marriages, faithful in our friendships, faithful to our church. This is being planted. This is, this is saying, I, I'm going to finish what I started. I want to I play a song for you guys. And a uh, little show and tell time. This is a music box that has been in my family for generations. My great-great-grandfather gave it to his son, who gave it to his son. Who, I'm just kidding. I got it at Target. But this, <laughs> actually, if you look close at it, Toy Story is on the inside of it, this little thing. But I want to play, play a song for you. And uh, Pastor Ben, if you're watching this, this is my tryout for the worship team for, for 1132 Music. 
And um, I, I just want to illustrate this idea that, that unfinished things are frustrating. Okay, are you ready? For, you ready to hear a song? You want to hear? Okay, here we go. The last service they tried to start singing and I was like, stop, you're going to ruin the illustration. <laughs> Ready. Now, if you're a musician in the room, you may have noticed I didn't play the very last note. I did that for my son in the room, and he was just staring at me. He was like, finish it. <laughs> and if you play music or if you appreciate music, you're probably sitting in your seat saying, finish it. And I think what has happened so many times in our lives is we're looking around at the world and we're saying, why isn't the world coming to faith? And they're saying, why aren't you finishing the song? Why don't you finish what you started? The faithfulness is planting your feet and saying, I'm going to see this thing through to the end. It's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to complete what I start. I'm going to be faithful to my word. I'm going to be faithful in my marriage. I'm going to be faithful to my relationships and faithful to my kids. It is planting your feet and saying, I'm not going anywhere. The world is not looking for the most talented or the most beautiful song. They're looking for the faithful. Are they going to be consistent? Are they any different than us or are they the same? See, faithfulness is not just powerful for the world. Faithfulness is powerful for you. I think a lot of times people miss what God has called them to do because they leave too soon. If you miss faithfulness, you might miss a miracle. You know what the word of God says? We're talking about Exodus and, and, and Moses splitting the Red Sea. Moses stretches out his hands and in one second the sea splits. Well, that's actually not what the scripture says. Exodus chapter 14 verse 21. I want to read it to you. If you could put that up on the screen, Exodus chapter 14, verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. So the sea did not split instantaneously. God stretched out the process for an eight-hour period. Now, this isn't that crazy until you remember that the Egyptian armies are literally tracking them down. God had the ability and the capacity and, of course, the power to split the sea in a moment. But he let it go all that night. And I wonder if God was just saying, are you willing to wait for what I have for you? And I think there's a lot of people, you stood in front of the sea and it started to split, but it didn't go fast enough. And you said, I guess God doesn't work miracles anymore. I guess I'm going to walk out. But I'm telling you, if you would plant your feet and say, I'm going to ask, I'm going to seek, I'm going to knock, I'm going to draw near to God and he'll draw near to me. I promise you, I don't know how long you've been waiting. Eight years, eight months, maybe longer, but the wind is blowing and the sea is splitting and God is about to make, come on, God is about to make a way for the faithful. Don't leave too soon. Don't leave too soon. Distinct focus. 
and distinct faithfulness. What does the presence of God do in our lives? It makes us distinct. It gives us distinct focus and distinct faithfulness. Now, this is where I got to tell the end of the story. And I wish that this story ended differently. I wish that this, this story says that the people repented to Stephen and they made him in charge and they gave him status and popularity and money and they took up an offering for him and posted about him on their Instagram stories. But what was the reward for Stephen's faithfulness and focus? It was stones. The reward of his obedience was stones. So why would I give myself to a life of focus and faithfulness if the reward is stones? And I feel like there's people in this room who have been given their best, who have done, you've done everything you can to keep your focus. You've done everything you can to stay faithful and the world has not been kind to you. And you're looking around and you see stones. I tried to be faithful and this person still walked out on me. I tried to be faithful. I prayed for this person to be healed and they got sick and they didn't make it. I tried to be focused and people still walked away. I tried to be focused and the provision still doesn't seem to be there. And you've been faithful and you've been focused and all you've received are stones. Stephen's in this moment where they didn't give him status or popularity. He didn't gain a bunch of Instagram followers. He didn't get a blue check by his name. He didn't get status or notoriety or fame. He got stones. They drag him out of the city. And there Stephen is laying on the ground, bleeding with stones laying all around him, taking his last breaths. And to make matters worse, the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that Saul approved of his execution. The Greek word for approved is to applaud. Have you, have you ever felt like not only is the world giving you stones, but the enemy's just applauding? <laughs> And so there Stephen is laying dead on the ground, stones surrounding him, and a standing ovation from Saul. This story is as dark as it gets. This is as heavy as it gets. When I look through natural eyes, but look again at the story through the eyes of Stephen. What do you see, Stephen? Verse 56, 56, he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Can I be a nerdy Bible teacher for a moment? There is only one time in the Bible that we see Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and it's right here. Every other verse, he's seated at the right hand of God, but here we see him 
standing. See, Saul was giving a standing ovation because of his death. But Jesus was giving a standing ovation because of his life. Saul was giving a standing ovation because of his execution. Jesus was giving a standing ovation because of a faithful life. Saul was giving a standing ovation as he took his last breath. Jesus was giving a standing ovation as he took his first eternal breath. I want you to know if you've considered quitting or giving up or stopping your focus or giving up on your faithfulness, you have a God in heaven who is up on his feet saying, don't quit now. You got to standing ovation from King Jesus and he's saying oh I am faithful and just he's saying my strength is made perfect in your way can we give him 10 seconds of praise he said my strength is made perfect in your weakness he says I've got you I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand I'm telling you we've got a king who is in heaven saying don't quit now <laughs> 